We've been beginning a series that I'm calling Catechism. Very simple word. I've been using what's called the New City Catechism, which is, quote-unquote, a new catechism that has been put together. And a catechism is, again, a way of teaching the faith, or teaching anything, really, the basic understandings of things. That's what a catechism is. In the Christian world, a catechism is a series of questions and answers. That's how we've decided to do it. And so for years and years and years in the Presbyterian Church, the Westminster Catechism was the catechism that we used. And now catechisms have been rewritten and we use different catechisms in order to teach during our time of catechism when kids are sort of in middle school into high school, when they're getting ready to to become full members of the church. We often use the catechism as a way of, of helping them understand Christian doctrine. And so I want to say a couple of things in preface to this, is that, and this is something that Shirley Guthrie, who was a a professor and teacher in in the Presbyterian Church for years and years, I often go back to Shirley Guthrie's Basic Christian Doctrine, or Christian Doctrine textbook, which is very accessible. If If you're interested in this at all, and you want to have a greater understanding of things, it's a great text. It's kind of thick, but you can go in and look at different pieces and parts of Christian doctrine within the Presbyterian and Reformed, and it's it'll be there. And then it asks you questions, too, to reflect on. It's a great book. But Shirley Guthrie wrote, just as a reminder, that we worship and we serve a living God, not the doctrine of the church. We worship and we serve a living God. God, not the doctrine of the church. So doctrine is helpful, but it ought to always, as Jesus always did in the stories of him, it ought to always point us to the living God. And so I just want to remind us about that. The second thing, that as I'm going through the catechism, as I'm being challenged by some of the traditional orthodox doctrine of the church, as I'm trying to wrestle with some of the historic application of that doctrine, I'm just reminded of this, and this is just something that my simple way of saying it. Love isn't a thing. Love is the thing. Love isn't a thing among many. Love is the thing. When, as we look at doctrine, as we look at this living God, it really comes back to Love, and I'm not talking about, you know, the love that we might see on the rom-com movie. I'm not talking about that ooey-gooey, eros kind of, you know, that that feeling that maybe some of you remember the first or second time you saw somebody who just really, you know, got all your fires going. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a love that is, that spans so much more, that, that holds us accountable and holds us close. That shows us a new way of living and and, and calls us to a better way for ourselves and also comforts us. Love isn't a thing, it is the thing. So with all of that, I want you to just take another deep breath. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Simple in its language, not simple in its effect or its implications. What is your purpose?
What is your life, your unique individual life for? Just don't want any answers. I'm sure you have them ready right at the tip of your tongue. But I think that Christian doctrine has something to say about that. And I'll just be honest, it's, it's something that in our world today, especially for those of us who have been educated, who've had the opportunity to grow up in families where we ha- weren't just scrabbling for our existence from day to day, where we've had that opportunity to have food and education and, and means and work, then that question comes up for us. What, what is my purpose? What am I here for? Question one of the Westminster Catechism. Does anybody remember? You know I hammer this one home all the time. It's a very famous. What is question one of the Westminster Catechism? What is the chief end of man or humankind? And the answer? To glorify God and enjoy God forever. To glorify God and enjoy God forever. So... The question for today in this book is, how and why did God create us? There's your answer. To glorify God and to enjoy God forever. What's your purpose? To glorify God and enjoy God forever. Now, go and live. (laughs) Right? It's just that simple, isn't it? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of stuff behind that, isn't there? How and why God created us. Well, from the Bible, God created us male and female in God's own image to know God, love God, live with God, glorify God. And so I I began to ask myself, well, what does it mean, to use the traditional language of the scripture, what does it mean that God created us male and female? What are the implications of that? And I think the real implications of that, as I I dig down in that further, because of course that language has been used to manipulate a lot of different discussions about sexuality and about relationships and and, and especially some of the, the issues that we're facing today, But I believe that what what it really comes down to is this other phrase that comes in that creation story. It is not good for humankind or man to be alone. We were created as individuals with our own unique gifts, skills, and eventually experiences. And we as Shirley Guthrie would remind us, we we were made to live into that individuality. But we weren't made to turn it into individualism. Most isms aren't so great in our world, right? Race-ism, sex-ism, age-ism, all those kinds of things, we can talk about those. Individuality to live into who God created us to be, the gifts and skills, and and to use those skills in a certain way. But we were created also for community. God created us male and female in God's image. Oh, if you remember the God that we, this living God that we worship and serve is not a monolith. (laughs) 
We believe it's a triunity, a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that within the Godhead, as we might say, there is a community, and that the creation was spun out of the great love that this community had within itself, that it actually, that it was love itself, and that it created in order to share that love, that overflowing love begins to spill out and to bring into being all that we know. And so, then out of that, we, we might come to understand that that we, as the creation, as the creatures of this loving and living God, we are dependent upon God. The God who created us and sustains us has given us everything that we are and everything that we have. And it's on loan. Think about that for a moment. I haven't talked about owning things. I own this, I own that, I have this, I have that. In scripture it says basically, you know, all the hills and all the, all the cattle on the hills are the Lord's. Well, you may not own any cattle. You might think you own some hills. The the molehills in my backyard, perhaps, but God, the living God, is the one who has given this on loan to us. And so what are we supposed to do with it? We talked about in the, in the scripture, it, some of the words are to have dominion over it, to subdue it. There's this interesting, in the ancient world, there's this interesting thought. There's a lot of violence in the, in the stories of creation in the ancient world. Not so much in, especially not in the Hebraic, in the, in the creation story that we have. There isn't violence. In some of the other creation stories, there, there's, there's a war between the God of the earth and the God of the heavens, or there's internal war in a God, and the God rips a God's self apart to form the heavens and the earth. There's this violence that happens, but not in the story that we have. It's a creation out of love. And so then in the story we hear, we're supposed to have dominion and subdue. That's not, I don't like that language so much because it gets manipulated and it's been manipulated for so long, even in Christian churches to say that we, we're, you know, we're supposed to have dominion so we can use the earth for whatever we want to. We can set fire to it because there's a, there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And so, you know, you know so why, why not just, you know, use it up? The animals are here for our use. The trees are here for our use. But there's a better word, and it's an ancient word. Not ancient, but it's sort of a medieval word, and it has some history too, but, and you know it. It's called stewardship. The steward of the land served underneath the king or the, or the owner of the land, but didn't own any of it. And the steward was supposed to seek the, the best for that area to make sure that everybody got fed and that people got paid and that the land was used well. Yes, it was all in benefit of this king and the, it was, as a human king or, the, or whoever the earl was or whatever, they could be manipulative. So, you know, 
We'll let that be as it may. But the steward understood that it wasn't theirs. And of course, there's great stories like in Robin Hood and some of those about stewards who got it in their head that they, they should manipulate things to sort of get their own, you know, line their pockets and do that sort of thing. But that is not what we are called to do. We're called to be stewards of what we've been given. For what purpose? To glorify God. To glorify God. And to enjoy God. To live with God. And how, what, what does that mean? That means that who we are ought to have some sort of translation. I put sort of a wavy equal sign in my notes to how we live. Because God created us in God's likeness. In, the, in Psalm 8 it says, create us a little lower than the angels. So that we might show forth the glory of God. And God's glory is shown forth when we become truly human. When we live into the model and example of who Jesus was and who he is for us. This self-giving kind of sacrificial love and giving that cares for the entire creation. That seeks the best for us and for our neighbor. You see, I have a particular perspective. I don't think that the glory of God is served by building bigger and bigger cathedrals, larger and larger churches, buildings, not congregations. I don't think that necessarily the glory of God is served by building larger and larger monuments to ourselves. I mean, just think about it. How many people do you know that live, that rat, well, I'll just say it this way, that rattle around in homes? I don't have to go any farther than that. We've built monuments to ourselves that aren't useful to ourselves. Now, when those gifts are used for the glory of God, it's different, I'm not condemning a certain way of living, but a way of being that is focused on individualism. What's in it for me versus how can I take what I've been given and how can I share that in a way that benefits the community? Because we were made to be fully human, to find out who we are as individuals and the hardest part of that is figuring out how we're doing that in community. Because that's where it keeps us honest. If we find ourselves in a righteous community that's, that helps us see what are the boundaries, how are we, where are we falling down, where are we falling short, and, and where, can, where can we move forward and be better? Not in, a, not in a condemning way, but in an invitational kind of way. And I believe that's the invitation that Christ gives to us. It's an invitation to a new way of life, a, a way of life that, that takes great regard for the other. It's a way of life that is founded on love, of course, but is filled with forgiveness and forbearance. St. Paul wrote 
at one point, he says, I have become all things to all people in order that I might win a few. He used his gifts, his skills, which originally he used to be a persecutor of those following the way in order to show people a new and a more glorious way that is founded on love. Whatever you do, do it for God's glory, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So how and why were we created? We were created as individuals for a community. What is our purpose? To use everything that we've been given on loan to glorify God. To be stewards of God's creation that we might fully develop ourselves and not condemn ourselves or condemn others, but live fully into this graciousness and this love that is the thing, that is our living God. And because God is love, we can say that love, in the end, wins. And when we give ourselves over to it, we find it much easier to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, and to love our neighbor and to love ourselves. So may you know what you were created for. May you find and discover and hone your gifts to use them for the glory of God. Now go and live. Amen.